0: Hey, everyone. So this episode is actually a kind of like, I guess, a retweet or a repod. I've never done this before, but I was so moved and inspired by this conversation on the Coaches Rising podcast with John Churchill. Um, It's actually, I've been following John's work for some time, and it was very much the conversation that I wanted to have with John. Uh, And so I thought, instead of, you know, like so many... Podcast do trying to kind of have the same conversation again with the person instead I just asked um asked the 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 host Joel of of Coaches Rising um if I could share the episode on my podcast stream and he said yes and so uh I share this here because I think it's an amazing conversation I've been sharing it with a lot of folks I've listened to it a couple times now I, I bet I'll listen to it again um and I just wanted it to be he- heard by more people. And so um, uh, this is not, you know, kind of an episode of the Emerge podcast, but it is very much, um, I feel like I want it to be part of the Emerge uh, canon, or I want everybody who listens to Emerge to listen to this episode because I think it's so compelling. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, enjoy this totally unedited episode. You know, I didn't, I didn't do anything to create this. I'm just sort of... Uh, Sharing it with you. Enjoy this episode of um, the Coaches Rising podcast, Um, you know, through the Emerge podcast stream. Enjoy.
1: Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. Today I'm joined by John Churchill. This was a deeply inspiring and meaningful conversation for me. We are going to explore today John's mission to develop a new contemplative system for awakening that's calibrated to Westerners and also a mission to create a planetary Dharma. And so we will talk about Three important strands that John sees in our path of awakening and growing up in this lifetime. We'll explore the path of what he calls individuation, of healing, of growing up. We'll explore the path of identification, accessing our primordial identity or waking up. And we'll explore the path of initiation, the path of soul, of giving our gifts, the hero's journey. And most importantly, how do those paths all intertwine with each other what isn't possible when they are not all included together. John is the co-founder of the Karuna School, which is a non-profit global classroom offering lifelong dharmic learning to people of all ages, and their mission is to raise human consciousness John is a founding member of the Integral Institute, led by Ken Wilber, and spent 15 years in training and teaching with Daniel P. Brown in the Indo-Tibetan Mahayana lineage. He's received advanced training in attachment therapy, hypnosis, positive psychology for peak performance, and the pointing out style of Mahamudra meditation, and holds a doctorate in clinical psychology from William James College. All right. That all being said, let's dive in. Here's the podcast with John Churchill. John, I'm delighted to be with you today. In fact, I've been looking forward to this conversation a lot, actually. Uh, the things that I've heard you speaking about in the podcasts and I've seen and the things you've written, you know, really speak to my heart. So I'm excited to be here. How are you doing, first of all?
2: I'm really well. Thank you. It's a it's a beautiful day been for a run and a swim in the lake um up here in uh boulder colorado it's um it's like eden right now we've had a lot of rain it's super green so I, i'm yeah i'm i'm happy to be alive and, and really really glad to to be here with you
1: excellent yeah nice um well there's so many places we could start but actually i think a good place is to you know ask you about yeah your work in general and In particular, I I would wonder if you could speak a little bit about how you are making sense of the times we're in right now. You know, it's been a topic on the podcast a lot. The, you know, the the kind of change we're going through. People talk about a time between worlds, and you know, the maybe the breakdown of modernity and something emerging, and um, the crises we face. And so, I'm wondering if you could speak about how do you make sense of our times. And in particular, how is your work, which we'll get into a lot, how is your work responding to our times, or how is it a response mm. to our times? Yeah, what do you feel like we need to do, in a sense?
3: Well, obviously,
2: the meta crisis is is complex, and there's all kinds of factors at play here. Um, I mean, I think what we're what we're seeing is the the kind of karmic culmination of um, the the suppression, if you will, of the interiors of, of subjectivity within our civilization. For, you could say, 2,000 years. And, of course, as technology, we have this fourth industrial revolution coming online that... That applies so much pressure to our interiors that finally the interiors have to fight back. But like the, you know, the, the interior, the sacred world has to fight back because it's it's being squashed and squashed and squashed by scientific materialism and by the, the power of the technology that we've unleashed. So I think that it's in that sense, it's the the return of the beautiful right if we think of the good and the true and the beautiful this is like the beautiful wanting to like burst back into our culture and into our civilization so that's a that's a dynamic and then we also just have the um just the nature of the need to evolve to a to a, i mean with without the development of the interior we're not going to be able to address the complexity of the problems that we face. So there's also like an evolutionary drive to, to grow up and to mature and
3: to protect sacred world. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, I certainly resonate with what you're sharing there. And then, I mean, how do you, you know, we talked about the interior, how do you feel like we're being invited to, to kind of, give space to the, the beauty, to the interior. I know you're, you know, involved in, you know, sort of discerning and bringing forth a contemplative system that's kind of calibrated to Westerners and the times we're in. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. What do you think is important in, right. in us giving space to our interior and, and evolving, evolving alongside yeah. what's happening?
2: Well, well, I mean, essentially what we're talking about is a revolution revolution in consciousness but a revo- but that revolution will affect all dimensions of our you know of our of our lives I mean we can point to the revolution in technology but I don't I think this the the revolution in terms of human uh, evolution is is going to be a real evolution I mean part, part of part of the challenge that we face is because that dimension, the sacred really has been suppressed and attacked in our civilization for a while, we have a lot of back work to do. do. Because if, if someone comes into therapy and they don't know that they've been traumatized and they don't know their own history and they're wanting to address the challenges in their lives, you've got a difficult problem because, yes, you can teach them tools to kind of address what's going on. But if there's a bunch of material in the past that's completely unaware of, that also has to be addressed. You know, so many people don't know like the history of the sacred in the West, right? The, the, the mystery schools, Alexandria, the Ilusian Mysteries, the Dionysian Mysteries, um, how Christianity kind of suppressed all of the the interior sciences so in the east where they those could stay as as a part of culture all that had to go esoteric in the west for two thousand years so you know the alchemists the rosicrucians the theosophists the ritual magicians all of the things that we would recognize we point to the east and we go oh wow they have these amazing contemplative traditions the majority of people don't even realize that we've had those in the West kept in secret for a few, you know, for a thousand years. And, and we see this, for instance, in the, in the research, where all the meditation research is on, uh, you know, 99.9% of it is on Eastern meditation with no understanding that we have Western traditions. And, and frankly, as long as we have a kind of a, Fascination with Orientalism, it's safe because it doesn't kind of rumble at the foundations of Western civilization. But people need to appreciate that our greats, you know, Isaac Newton, alchemist, theosophist, um, you know, Boyle, Ashmole, all of these who the great, well, Brits, the, found, the people who founded really science, these were people deeply embedded in sacred world, in alchemy, in meditation. And we, we've lost an understanding that that's part of our heritage, right? So um, part of the process is understanding and reclaiming our own indigenous kind of sacred roots. So that's part of, you know, when I talk about a planetary dharma, the project it does involve like rediscovering Western esotericism, rediscovering redis- and integrating that with the best of Eastern contemplative psychology, and then how that is integrated into kind of Western developmental psychology. So there are a number of streams that have to come to the table. Um, and again, paradoxically, most of the Western ones are the ones that the most, are the most hidden, right? That's the, sh- that's the shadow, right? You project some it's easier to find it elsewhere than it is it, to find it in your own home because all that stuff got hidden so that's i mean that's part of the the crisis, you know is is returning to our own roots and discovering what it is that we've lost um, you know one of the challenges that we had in the west with our science is when vitalism got split from science probably 300 400 years ago We've been pruning the development of science. So,
1: that, what's vitalism? Like?
2: Well, vitalism would have been the understanding of prana, of life force energy in, in medicine. So, acupuncture, right? So, if you go back 300, 400 years, we had a rich vitalistic tradition of medicine. And there's been the fight, the fight that we see still today between, uh, Uh, mainstream medicine and alternative medicine, that fight has been going on for 2,000 years, right? I mean, in fact, you see that fight in the Inquisition, right, when they were burning women at the the stake for using psychedelic medicines. It's the same battle that's been fought between those forces that are kind of interested in totalitarian power and control of our civilization and those forces that are interested in sacred world and deep democracy. Right So by, so vitalistic medicine, if that had been part of our science, as our science had evolved over the last 300 years, it would be a much more integrated uh, medical science, understanding how the energetic systems interrelate with the biochemical systems. That gets taken out, then science gets pruned, and then you can just say, "Well, that's got nothing to do with science, all those cra- quacks and, you know over there, when in fact, what we don't realize is science has been shaped over the last few hundred years that includes psychological science chemistry physics you know all all of the sciences really
1: mm. wow so many things i could ask you about this one um i'm actually interested to know how um you what you see taking place in terms of the emergence uh, uh, and the acceptance of you know vitalism and mm-hmm. some of these western uh, you know, uh, mystery traditions, um, mm-hmm. and I, I think so. I'm curious about that, but I'm also curious: how would you distinguish the difference between, if there is, you know, between the Eastern approaches? I know you're also trained in, you know, Tibetan mud, Buddhist mm-hmm. uh, meditation. Sure, uh, I've got a background in that too. Uh, but I'm curious: how how would you contrast that with some of the Western esoteric traditions that,
3: that have been hidden?
2: Same. The, the deep The deep structure is very, very similar. Yeah, it's very, very similar. Um, what's, what? What has been kept alive is because, let's say, in Tibet, their whole initiatory system was was supported by the state, rather than suppressed by the state. So that's you know leads to an integration of their deep phenomenological sciences the meditative sciences with in the language of the academy right so in in the language of their universities in fact that was the primary language in their universities Um,
3: yeah yeah we we lost that Um,
2: but in terms of the deep structure very very similar Um, but because their systems were in the open, they, they were allowed, they were able to move a lot more people through their initiatory systems than we were. And they also, because they were essentially in retreat, right, as a culture, they were in retreat, they were able to really work out some of the finer dimensions that need to happen in a laboratory, but now that they've been worked out and just the nature of planetary karma and that vessel got cracked as, as the Chinese invaded, those technologies um are now, you know, psychotechnologies and understanding are now um slowly being integrated into, into our understanding of the human mind and the and yeah, sacred psychology.
1: Because I, I what caught me was when you said also that you know, if we, uh, I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but if we open to uh, the Western esoteric schools, that could rock the foundation more. You know, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but I think it's like alluding to that maybe it's a bit sort of easy to bring in the Eastern ones. Uh, What, what could you say more about what you mean by that?
2: Okay. So if, if, if you have different systems to compare and contrast you can see how, what they're both trying to get at, right? And and it also enables you to see, let's say that probably one of the challenges with the Tibetan system is culturally, the culture was at a certain level of development, right? So the culture didn't really, was kind of at a pretty uh, pre-modern level of development, if, on the other hand, some of these ideas continued to be matured in modernity and they were still articulating the same principles, you begin to understand, oh, that's how that mind would understand it. Also, that's how uh, a modern consciousness would construct even the organizations that facilitate the pro- the educational journey, right? Like, so um, you begin to get an understanding, but the, the more systems you have, to look at some, the more lenses you have to look at something the more it begins to reveal itself
1: yeah right. yeah that makes a lot of sense and and i mean we can actually maybe this is a good place to pivot into mm-hmm. then you know if we look, if we start to look at all those systems sure what what is the common what you know what may might be the things we would want to include in a What's the deep structure yeah. In a sense, you know, I know I heard sure. you mentioned like trauma, trauma work, you know, shadow work. Sure. And 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 just before you answer that, do you do you see these Western schools emerging now more? Do you think that's happening? Like they're coming back out into the open, being practiced more by people in the West? Are they still, you know, more difficult to find? Or?
2: Sure. Yeah. OK. First question Um
3: was around the deep structure, right? Obviously, the deep
2: structure of a planetary Dharma, if you will, because we're human, is the deep structure of the human psyche and how it unfolds, right? Um, And maybe you could say that falls into three main processes. Individuation. Individuation. Um, identification, and initiation. And those are three different kind of
3: major transformative processes
2: that need to be integrated in a lifelong journey. So the path of individuation involves um, the path of, of cleaning material up and individuating from being fused with your childhood um, material, right? So that would include your traumas, you know, working with your attachment stuff, working with your early relational structures, you're developing and refining, strengthening the self-structure, script pathologies, self-image work, you know, all, basically, a lot of the Western psychological work helps with individuation. And that was, you know, mainly that's why it, western psychology and and you know jung was pointing to that process that that was a sacred process that individuation isn't just you know it is a sacred process of becoming an individual the individual seed that you are and separating it from the dross that that, that are the complexes that you want, that you want and so you could become to so becoming individuated a uniquely a unique expression of the sacred is a particular dimension of what Western psychology has to offer us and modernity. And it's really, really important. It's it's super important because for for us to accomplish this mission, we are going to have to learn to come together and work together. But to do that, we have to be individuals. If you want to build sacred organization from people who aren't individuated, that's where you get cult and not culture. You get culture when you have individuation, and you get cult when you have fusion. Right. So that that process of individuation is that's super important. And so many of, of the work that your coach, you know, the coaches are doing is helping people like become more individuated, become more active, more proactive in, in, in their lives. So that there's a certain amount of cleaning up, there's a certain amount of activity in that process of, of doing. So that's individuation. Identification is a process, really, of of wake of a waking up process of um, beginning to understand that there's a fundamental, deep, primordial identity to what it means to be a human being, and that's got more towards the being part than the human part. Okay, right? like and. and that's really where kind of traditional mysticism, you know, the via negativa, if you will, of, 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 like, of transcending and including and of shifting your basis of operation to deeper levels of identity, um, that's where that identificatory process takes place, right? Um, And then you have the initiation process. Well, the initiation process, I mean, you can think of individuation as related to sacred personality, becoming an individual, and identification is about spirit. And initiation is really about soul. And that is really about literally waking up into a different world. Like, not transcending everything into pure spirit, but actually literally you start to see that this world is not the world that you've been taught that it is, and that involves um uh, an education process that is also rechemicalization, right so the body begins to mutate, the DMT, you know psychedelic work psychedelic Dharma work is really around giving you peak experiences of that initiatory process, but then there's the lifelong process that actually makes that a permanent transition. So you begin to have permanent access to those subtle realms, right? Right. Um, Which is, that's a really important part of sacred duality. If, if identification is really about sacred non-duality, initiation is about being initiated into sacred duality, into sa- the literal sacred world. And it's an initiatory process, right? Um, so those, those three processes ideally are fused into a single alchemical process over a lifetime. Um, and, of course, we often see people who specialize in one. We see some people who are highly individuated and have no sense of initiation or, or no sense of soul or spirit, right? You people who are like completely, you know, non-dual realized, completely identified with the ground of being, no sense of soul, no sense of being individuated. And, and same thing with people who have kind of really gone deep into sacred world and, you know, extraterrestrials and extradimensional beings and all of that kind of stuff, and they haven't worked out their, psychological stuff in do they have a sense of the deeper the kind of the deeper mysteries of of um of a of kind of transcendence so those are the three processes and, and if we look at across the whole planet we see those three you know personality soul spirit those three processes um at work, and so essentially, you know, when it comes to the project of building a planetary dharma, it's really about bringing together the, you know, the the those three fundamental processes, and what what are the best in the, of the in the East and in the West of doing that, and then how do we build the lifelong learning academy that that allows people to progress along that route, right? Then to address the second question, which was about the Western. So, you know, the challenge with the Western traditions. So by by that, I'm talking about. um, So if we look at the transition that happened in the West from
3: the Renaissance to modernity.
2: One of the organizations built to do that was Freemasonry. So Freemasonry was built as a, a, a sealed initiatory system that essentially was initiating people into modernity as a way of protecting, and the initiatory system protected them against the monarchists and the papacy that was attempting to break into what was then the version of sacred world that was trying to be worked out from a modern frame, right? So um, so you know, and within that worldview of kind of sacred European secret societies, we see, you know, a lot of esoteric physics, esoteric chemistry, but you know meditation practices, ritual magic, all of those kinds of things sealed up within masonry and within within other Western secret societies. So the problem with those those um systems is they are they also haven't been updated and to update anything now it needs to have a planetary perspective right it needs to introduce it needs to be an integrated synthesis of you know all of the eastern and all of the western without like wearing the cloaks and the funny you know the funny outfits right so um yes the western mysteries are still active um, I think to some extent, because they went into secret, they have been, when everything, and with some things that are, are held in secret, then strange things can happen. So I don't necessarily believe that they are able to, um, they, they have building blocks that are useful for the project, but the project for the 21st century, which is really, we need a unified planet And we need to understand what it means to be a human planetary being. And that involves the integration of East and West. It's, you know, we've moved beyond, we move beyond, you know, Eastern and Western. So I think we're at a, we're we're at a, um, we're in a new time and it it necessitates the building of new, of new systems.
1: Yeah. I mean, that does feel like what's happening as well. Uh, I made a lot of notes. I want to come back to those three different streams that you articulated. Uh, but it does feel like that's the time we're in as well, where, you know, there was a certain hegemony in the, you know, of wet, like Western capitalist kind of thinking, which proliferated around the world and, you know, certain, certain ide- cultures and ways of being were marginalized and, uh you know the world was pretty stable for a while seemingly stable anyway you know but sure. uh, and it feels now like the, the, you know everything's being destabilized and and these uh, these marginalized ways of being and thinking are, are coming into the center and and that's a good thing but it's you know it's also like we're trying to to make sense of things and do do you yeah i mean ha, um where are we at in this process i guess one of the dangers is we don't want it to be a, you know, uh, like dominated by Western kind of thinking again, like, oh, we'll just incorporate Eastern. It needs to be, I'm guessing, I wonder what you think, does it need to be truly co-created, you know, with indigenous communities, with Western and Eastern, you know, Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere communities of practice that can come together and and kind of create uh, maybe a coherent linguistic use that that you know points to the direct experience that then we can all explore together if that makes sense rather than hey we've all coming in with all our different terminology some of it which is you know very poetic or Mm -hmm. or or very specific sanskrit terminology but you know do we know yeah so yeah a
2: yeah so so there was two questions here one was around where are we in this process right right um you know where are we and then the second one is like you know in terms of that prod you know in terms of the kind of that planetary dharma project like how do we go about doing it right um yeah i think where we are right now is in the chaos (laughs) chaos phase (laughs) all right um you know, I mean, for instance, one of the challenges that we have in the West is we have, we have issues from a suppressed past and issues suppressing the future, right? So what do I mean by that? Well, in terms of suppressing the past, certain capacities that we would have had, had we, had we lived in an ancient Europe and the, and the, the mystery schools continued in Europe, um, the likelihood is, is that the kind of suppression that we had through Christianity on both psychedelic medicines and on sexuality would not have happened. And had that not happened, the degree of sophistication of our alchemy, of our psychospiritual alchemy now would be highly advanced, right? So we, we are like, we're 2,000 years behind where we could have been. I think you just got to like get, right? What? Tragic. Tragic. And, and that so that's that's primarily got to do with the initiatory side, which is access to sacred world, right? Like um, DMT in the brain is, is like sacred sexuality is designed to secrete the hormones to bring online certain capacities. So when you cut people's access to that off and you don't educate them in what sexuality is understood. As being for in in sacred world, then you begin to dry up access to certain realms, so we have that problem, and so you're seeing the renaissance of of psychedelics, which is really about opening up what was left behind in the past right and so there's that issue that has to be addressed with and so and then there's the the issue around the future, which is more developed states and structures of development, because just opening up the past and having access, you know, talking to DMT elves or, or, you know, beginning to have a much deeper experience of symbiosis with nature and getting a sense of the sacredness of of the plants and the animals isn't also necessarily enough to help um, develop the sophistication of perspective to address the complexity of the meta crisis so you, you need both right so to do that you have to have a you know really well articulated map maps but then you also have to have a really well integrated curriculum so part of the challenge right now is we don't really have well integrated cur- it's like there's a bit over here and there's a bit over there and the specialists over here and the specialists over there, we don't really yet have, in my mind, good academies that, will, that, that can kind of lead us through a multi-year journey. Because it is, this is not a workshop-type thing. It's, right, it's not a year-long type process. We're talking about having to engage in processes that are the same, the same kind of duration that we, when we went through school. Right. Like if you want real development and you want to see the real change that you see between my, you know, my boy and my daughter when they're seven and when they're like 14 and 21, you have to stay in a vessel in a system that long. And so one of the challenges is, is we don't have those contemporary. You can do Tibetan Buddhism, but but it's not actually calibrated. You can do, you know, so we... The challenge is, is actually bringing those pieces together to create the kind of um, learning journey and community building that allows you to build a guild. Like, you know, like if, if, if it's a similar kind of project to what the Masons were scratching their heads four, 500 years ago, where you have to build, you've got to come together. We need an education system that we know that we can speak the same language because it's a. Even though we're all doing similar practices, if you don't get on the same page with the technical language, it can't evolve. Right. That was that was one of the advantages of the Tibetan Tibetan system. It's like you have a very advanced technical language of, of interior science, and once you have that, then you can start doing algebra. If, you're still, if we're still farting around with terms, which is part of the problem with where we are right now is, every, you know, is everybody's like hanging out their shingle and we have 10,000 breath work trainings and all this and that, and we don't actually have something that um, is bringing together, you know, that is integrated. So, so the thing about the project for a planet, yes. Over hundred or two hundred years, the process that you're saying describing will happen, where the indigenous where and the where the discussions that need to happen will happen i don 't think that we we don't have the time or the luxury for the politics involved in that process, meaning that um because of you know cultural appropriation and um, you know all of the challenges that we see out there in the world. Um, we've had these ecumenical dialogues for a few decades. I don't know if it's actually got us anywhere in terms of actually developing path. Mm. So, um, in terms of the spirit of what you're talking about, absolutely. Um, I, I think that as wef- as as a Westerner. Um, the value of our of, of understanding indigenous wisdom is that you can turn around and look back and see it in your see it in yourself meaning we have our druids right I'm a member of a, of a Druid order right I mean we have our history you, if you see it out if you see it in other cultures we have it too right so that's not to say that understanding a planetary indigenous wisdom isn't useful but it's but the work that we have to do in our culture is make sure that we do that for ourselves right because if we don't do that we're also not taking care of our of the psychotherapy for our civilization right we we have to dig deep enough to rediscover and own our own indigenous roots which if you think about the human brain and its phylogenetic layers
3: 2000 years is just a little like it's it's all here Mm. it's all here um
2: so i mean that's at least that's the that's the task that i'm interested in right i think that the one that you're you know the the kind of ecumenical process is really important but i do think that we need to move forward with um you know, articulating and building that path so that the people who need that education, who are in positions of influence, can have that education as quickly as possible.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because I was going to say uh, when you said, "We do we have time?" I mean, um, yeah, it seems like uh, do we have a choice as well? Do we don't do we have a time to you know do that bigger project? But do we have a choice in not to educate? people who are coming uh, and asking and looking for this kind of education i saw you write somewhere on your website about um you know uh, i don't know where i've written it now but uh yeah leaders who are spiritually grounded socially conscious and strategically savvy you know because like that's something i care about everything you're talking about speaks to me and i relate to in my journey you know that uh, I, you know, was a meditator for many years, but I was frustrated because I was like, "Why is it not taking purchase in my life?" And started to recognize that, you know, there was a lot of unintegrated trauma, and yeah. uh, you know, every time I would get off the cushion, you know, the the kind of psychological, the, the 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 structure was not there for the realizations I was having to actually take root in my moment-to-moment experience, and so. And then, you know, another point, I I became frustrated because I felt like, you know, you use that word drying up, you know, I felt like, okay, if I'm only focusing on a, uh, you know, a kind of uh, primordial awakening and an individuation, there's something's missing, you know, something is still missing. And I, I then went on a path of soul initiation, you know, and and felt the qualitatively different. Feel of those communities that emphasize soul awakening from some of the others, and I was like, Holy shit, like this is, yeah, yeah, like. And but I was then quite, you know, when you're in those communities for a while, then you're like, Oh, yeah, but there's also dysfunction here, too, you know, like exactly, yeah, exactly.
2: Well, so that's, I mean, that's why we, we, we need, I mean, at Karuna, we are, um, that's the project we've set ourselves. There's no reason why we can't come together. Um, and build an organization and bring together teachers within the faculty that can hold that together. You know, we need a, a Hogwarts for adults, right? And the and you're absolutely right. Like the, the so one of the problems, one of the real dangers in the West is spirituality has been psychologicalized. Yeah, yeah, right. And and and, and the hero's journey is not a fucking metaphor you have to do something you actually have to do something (laughs) right so 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 the reason why if you're sitting on the cushion is a path it's meant to take everything from you right like you're it's it's meant to be like in the traditional initiatory systems it was like are you willing to die why because you are going to die mate so like (laughs) if you're not willing to well then you've already got a problem and then once you're willing to die for something larger, then, then you begin to then we can begin to move forward and actually have a, an interior and an exterior revolution. because because of the nature of non-duality and how the Bodhisattva path unfolds, there's a relationship between what you and I literally do with the outer world and how you literally unfold. Like, non-duality is literal. So what that means is the circumstances that are facing you and me in our work life, if we think that they are, are, are not connected to how higher consciousness is born, higher consciousness is being born in the rub of exactly what's happening. So if you're using your meditation pra- practice as a kind of Zoloft for the soul, then of course, you're, it's not going to actually bring about transformation because transformation involves like actually giving yourself to the path and giving us and giving ourselves to the unknown, which, which, which involves growing up and maturing and not just using your meditative practice to mindfully reduce stress when actually we're in a stressful
1: situation. <laughs> right. Well, this, this comes to, uh, I've got like a number of questions coming up. So I, what I appreciate about what you're sharing is as well is that, you know, I've found it to be very destabilizing uh, to enact some of these technologies we're discussing, you know, they're potent and you know, you know, um they they really can destroy you in it, or you can deconstruct yourself. And you know, you know, the the moment I felt that there was a shift from like I was doing the practice to suddenly the practice was doing me. And and then that took me into some really uh, difficult territories that ended up leading me into some incredible places, you know, on the other side, but were very um, scary, actually, at points. And so sure. I think what I'm trying to say is there's also, you know, the psycho- psychologicalization of spiritual practice can, can kind of make it seem, can sanitize it a bit and make it seem like it's... Um, you know, it's just going to de- de-stress you and, you know, live live a good life. But actually this stuff really works. It's potent. And I've met more and more people who've been through spiritual crises and, and, and and I just want to weave in one other distinction and then just see where you take it, which is that led me into a big inquiry around the efficacy or the uh, appropriateness of, you know, a sutric approach and a tantric approach and Almost like some of the contradictions I found in, uh, you know, like what I wanted for myself and what these approaches advocate. You know, in a in a sutric approach, which is kind of renouncing. You know, I'm going to really, you'll be able to speak into this much better than me, and I'm going to very overly simplify this in a way that's unfair. But you know, sutric approach, which is kind of renouncing or dis- detaching from experience, and 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 almost aiming to kind of an experience of no self. But on the other hand, you know, I was I was wanting this initiation path. I, I actually want to be a person who is deeply in touch with my emotional life and 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 my my three and a half year old daughter and the way she touches me and, and what's happening out there in the world. The world is burning. And, you know, that's so this Dharma, you know, I want to play my music. I want to be of service. So I found this contradiction in those paths. And I get that. There's some value in deconstructing the self so that you can, um, you know, uh, free oneself from the, uh, you know, being caught up in uh, being identified with a separate sense of self and the, you know, it's the way it's reconstructing itself. But um, once you get beyond that, there was it felt like there were contradictions in in the sutric path. Anyway, I've said a lot there. I think you get the gist of where I'm going with it. I'm just curious what you think
2: yeah, so let's just define Sutra path, Sutra path and Tantra path traditionally. Sutra is like the path of no. maybe Tantra is the path of yes. Let's just put it that simple simply. um, so what we have to do is we have to reunderstand what those two what 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 is the contemporary version of those, and we have to understand them as different phases within the journey at the beginning of the journey, you have to come to understand ethics. you have to come to understand multigenerational trauma and its massive destructiveness personally, interpersonally, culturally in our planet. You have to come to understand um, you know ethics, cause and effect all you know you, you have to clean up right you, you know you have to kind of really understand and have um a clear
3: perception of the work that needs to be done
2: and the healing part of it. So that the, 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 the what I would call the Hinayana or the individual vehicle, the individual phase of practice is where you, you've been wheeled into emergency and it ain't appropriate to like give the person IV DMT just yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they, need to, they need to learn the it. they need to apprentice themselves to understanding what the path is going to entail, to understanding the responsibilities that are going to be put on them, and to begin to mature and get ready. And part of even getting ready is learn, if you can't get ready and you can't have enough patience, then you should not touch those other, those other technologies. Right. So develop, you know, whatever the amount of time is to become mature, patient, ethical, responsible, and understand the job that needs to happen. Right. That's the first phase. And that's super, that's super important. And that would be the sutra phase. Right. And um, if, and if you don't do that, you're going to have real problems. Right. So, so that has to happen. Then the next phase is then from that place beginning to grow into a deeper understanding of the universal.
3: Like, what does the grail serve?
2: Who does it serve? It serves the planet. It serves all of us. It serves all beings. So that part of the process, the Mahayana, the great way, is an opening up and shifting your identification to a much more, to the unified field, right, to nature itself, Buddha nature, and to develop um, that sense of identity that is committed to the whole because it, uh, it experiences itself to be non-dual with the whole. And that process can take anywhere from a year to three years, depending upon the level of, of proficiency of the student, Then you're now ready for like alchemical work, right? Because now you've, you've, you have the individual discipline and you understand the responsibilities. You've shifted your basis of operation. Your fundamental motivation now is towards serving the whole. Then process practice, or what you call Tantra process practice, which is probably the best translation. Now, these are the processes of deep transformation and, catal- and, and catalyzation. They speed process up, but they speed up the wheel, you see. So you have to get the wheel going the right way. Otherwise, if you speed the wheel up and it's going the wrong way, then the tech will drive you into hell. On the other hand, and this is the same thing with AI, with any technology, so process practice, you know, super powerful breath work, super powerful sexual yogas, um, psychedelic work, dark retreat, all of these powerful um transformative practices, they will spin the wheel. But if the wheel has been set to go the wrong way, and, and AI will be the case, it will lead the wrong way and it will lead very fast to complete egohood, <laughs> right? And, and um what are the traditions they would call Black magic, the Darth Veda move, mm. right? Because those process practices are techniques.
1: They are technologies. Are you, are you placing like breath work and psychedelic work in a tantric kind of bucket process, bucket there? Well,
2: it depends what kind of, what kind of how you're using the breath work, right? Like you can use it to uncover but but there's all, and the same with psychedelics, but you could also use sustained ongoing breath work combined, you know, combined with meditative practices, like an inner fire practice and tumor practice, where essentially what's, you, you're now working with a, with a technical process of, of lubricating the astral body, so that the astral body can then begin to wake up and begin to kind of open and wake up into sacred sacred world most of the people doing breath work are using it for kind of healing work and, and kind of bringing material up but if you're doing breath work two through two hours a day that's a different kind of process right as part of your practice and of course in the in the fuller curriculum that's what it entails it's one thing to do a little breath work once a week or once a month it's another thing that you actually have a, a yogic practice where you're really you know driving the energy but if you're going to do that you need to know why you're doing that and where you're going and what what the further curriculum looks like so so yes th- those technique when it's technique it is process practice. Now, granted, there are process practices that you could use whenever with people, right? I'm not saying you shouldn't use psychedelics or breath work at the beginning with people, but further, further down the path, when, when you and I as a practitioner actually learn how to use the breath work yourself, where you are no longer going to breath work, but you are actually doing your own practice or you're doing your own medicine practice yourself. That's when you're moving, you're becoming more of an adept and less of a, you know, less of a kind of less going to classes.
1: Mm. And do do you you know that characterization that I made of sutric and tantric, you know, renunciate and uh-huh. and kind of you know a no path and yes path. Um you know, I'm just curious if you could say a little bit about what you think about what I was saying, where, you know, there's almost like in Tantra, I found an invitation to work more with qualities of experience um, as they're showing up rather than to, you know, kind of like, for example, my emotions, you know, uh, to even to go into the emotion, not to, I don't mean to go in it in a way that you're like, you're really angry. So then you suddenly start shouting and hitting people, but more like, you know, you don't, you don't kind of like, you know, observe the anger from a witnessing perspective and then, you know, which can have some real value to it, but it's, you know, it's more like, no, I'm going to actually almost like go gaze in gaze, become the anger and, you know, allow it to reveal its enlightened quality. Do you, yeah. Well, to do that, Um, but to do that, to do
2: that process. So, so what, there's, there's one version, which is you completely suppress emotion. There's another version where you, where you, complete, right, where you completely vent emotion. Um, the, ton, the tantric approach, in order to be able to witness emotion right, and to be able to transmute it, and what that means is in your direct experience to be able to have the depth of insight that you can see that what's arising in your experience is constructed and therefore you can play with it as if it's um as if it's a display but to do that you have to be able to have a capacity for insight but to train the capacity for insight you need a year or two or three years of not having too much mess because you'll never develop the capacity for that degree of insight in the as far as the curriculum goes you can't you can, to learn insight at the beginning you want to have not much aggravation, because yes. you need to develop calm staying. You need to develop a st- a, the, the capacity to have a mind that's still and calm. That's the first thing. Then you need to take that and be able to use insight practice to deconstruct and see that what's arising is empty. You can't do that if you're emotionally disturbed. Yes. So the, 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 the sutra approach is what you would learn – it, it, it's at school, like that's the beginning of the school you learn in contemplative studies, you have to learn how to suppress in the beginning. That's what calm staying does. Because if you don't have the ability to control the mind, then you're never going to be able to do process practice, process practice, Tantra practice is advanced. You can't, you you know, just saying whatever is not Tantra. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's just laissez-faire. Now um, there is something to be said, for the freedom of whatever psychodynamically, right? Like if you've come from a suppressive background and you're learning to dance and fuck, well, that's great, but that's not what we're talking about. If you then want to then really engage the developmental process, you're going to have to develop those contemplative capacities for metacognition. And to do that, you're going to have to go into a, a laboratory, a quiet environment to learn that like you would learn any science because it's a science. And then once you've learned to practice it, doesn't take too long, but, you know, it takes long enough to apprentice yourself to learn that skill, then you can reinvite all of that material back and now you can... alchemy which is what tantra is right so tantra is is alchemy the ability to transmute one state into something else and you do that through the power of insight if you haven't learned the insight you wouldn't be able to do it
1: yeah cool that makes sense and
2: yeah so we agree
1: yeah no that's great yeah and i totally get it because yeah otherwise yeah you're just going to be you haven't got the stability or the insight to be able to work skillfully with the transmutation, the alchemy, because you're just yeah. identified, you're all over the place, you know. Um, but you are
2: right. There, there is some degree just for, in our culture of needing that freedom, but that's, le- that's more from a psychodynamic, like, like freeing stuff up than it is from a development, supporting, growing up processes, yeah. right? Like, and we've got to differentiate the two because they're different
1: yeah totally totally and and when you said metacognition just for people listening that is being able to be take perspective on your experience like awareness of your experience basically exactly Yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: so all contemplative well all developmental processes are driven by metacognitive processes the ability to take perspective on something right? You take perspective on your body and then an infant can control the body. You take perspective on your emotions, you can control emotions. You take perspective on the mind, you, and so on and so forth. So metacognition, the ability to take perspective on your experience and how that refines and develops, that's, that is the main mechanism behind all development.
1: Really good. And I, the question I want to ask now is almost like continuing you know, in a way you're articulating a, a kind of path of practice here of okay. where you would focus on and the next stage after that. And what I'm curious about is how you would weave the three paths you are. you clarified earlier, you know, individuation, identification, and initiation, you know, do you see those as happening concurrently? Um, I mean, in a way, I know we've already talked about, hey, you know, you want to you start to do your individuation work f- first, or at least get that going, because then you, you know, you're cleaning up, you're integrating and resolve trauma. But I can imagine that, you know, like meditation practice can be supportive. For example, you know, the ability for me when I've done something like internal family systems with clients for them to be able to disidentify from parts of them that are showing up and, and access a kind of presence that can be with experience that's helpful. And that can be cultivated through meditation as well. So do you, do you find those, th- I want to, you know, you said some amazing things. <laughs> this about is great, This is a yeah. great question. So th- this yeah. is, this is where, well, this is where we need
2: the, the, the Atman project in the sense that the, 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 we need the, the, the building of a new organization with, with proper faculty because traditionally that wasn't the case. However, the more we have an understanding of the deep structure of the human psyche, the more we can have a synthesis. And I'll give you an example. Psychologically, the very foundation of human psychology is really the attachment system. I mean, we could talk about coex systems from birth, but, but the attachment system. I mean, the attachment system being how you and I, and the listeners, how we all internalized our um, early caregivers. And that attachment system, that relationship, helped us internalize our, it gave us our sense of deep safety and security. It helped us internalize our ability to attune to our own nervous systems. So the ability that you and I have right now, and the listeners have, to feel what's arising inside, and your ability to um, to attune and self-organize your own nervous system—that was internalized through the attachment system. Right. So, how you are relating to your very your own interior experience is highly defined by how well you were able to internalize what was there. And it's it's pretty well understood that most of the personality disorders are are actually related to attachment issues. So this is the very fundamental basis of all development. And, of course, the sense of safety, that allows the unfolding of, of our development all the way up the stack. And if there's problems at that base level of attachment or the root chakra, if you want to talk about it kind of energetically, that affects everything further on, further up. So a really important part of individuation is healing that attachment system so we feel secure, so we can let go of what we're holding on to and actually become an individual. Because we're going to end up holding on to something that we shouldn't be holding on to. We all, you know, we all do that. Now, so that's from a kind of psychological perspective. Now, from the contemplative perspective, the source of um, of samsara, of of like of the deep process of cyclic activity, of getting lost, of confusion, human confusion, is confusion, fusion with the attentional system itself right? Fusion with the attentional system. So if you're you and me right now and our listeners, our attentional system as well is able to focus on each other. And our awareness is what's able to be aware of the whole room. So I can see you, but I can also see the whole room simultaneously. Those are two different systems. The attentional system is locking onto you and awareness is already tracking the whole room. Now, to the extent that you're fused with attention, you become less and less actually conscious that there's a wider field. Yeah. Until most people are so blinkered that they don't, they're not consciously aware in every moment that there's a wider field is there, but they're not conscious of it. They're just in the blinkers the whole time. Now, that confusion with the attentional system is brought about from the perspective of the contemplative traditions through beginningless time of what? Of samsara, of what? Well, if we translate that into Western psychology, that is multi-generational trauma. When you become scared, you get, your awareness becomes fused onto your attentional system because you want to know what's going on. And as that becomes epigenetically rolled over multiple generations of not feeling safe, then the default mechanism, even as you're kind of growing in the womb, is awareness to get fused to the attentional system because it doesn't feel safe because actually nobody really has a good attachment system. From a psychological perspective, you can say, oh, you have secure attachment. But if you go back to the traditions, in my mind, secure attachment is Buddha. By the
1: way, we, we've set the base.
2: Yeah. Our high bar is actually a low bar. It's a low bar. It's the same thing in our medicine. It's based on averages. You want the you want the, like average health what no, I, I want to live to be a you know I don't want <laughs> right you don't want to have average health. So the so what's interesting is the very structure that stops you from being able to be released from being fused with the attentional system and the attentional system is the structure at the center of the self right? right. It's your attention that's gluing yourself together in every moment. Now, those are the same structures, the same structure. If the attachment system is, is addressed psychologically and supports individuation and psychological maturity, if you understand that that also supports in identification and beginning to be able to shift into a deeper level of identity, when that's relevant for you, those two processes can be actually woven together gradually. But what you but what you want to make sure that you're doing is that you're not driving the identification process, which is, let's say, some traditions do, by separating artificially and not addressing the attachment system. If you address naturally the things that need to be addressed within in a context of understanding what the other processes are, you can synergize. Yeah. But to do that, you need to have, you know, you need a more complex, sophisticated kind of curriculum. And right now, we have people over here doing that and people over there doing that, and it's not integrated. And good pedagogy involves like integration of multiples, lines of intelligence through a curriculum. So yes, you, we can build a curriculum that
1: weaves those three together in a way that hasn't been done before. I want to ask you about how we might weave the third part in, but the that's brilliant. Like I really appreciate, you know, in a way, you just articulated on a level of clarity for me something that I'd sensed, you know, already through sure. hey, I need to do therapy because every time I, you know, either I'm meditating or I get off the cushion, you know, I get reactive, my trauma kicks in. Um I'm just curious if you if where 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 do you feel there are people in the world who are making, you know, who are at the edges of that integration? You know, I know you were um a student of Daniel Brown and uh he has um, you know, he's written a book on attachment. I've got downstairs with the ideal parent protocol, for example, as a practice, which I've tried, which is potent. I mean, what what I'm guessing I'm wondering, like what what are you doing? What have you done that you've found particularly effective in that, your that question, synergy. Yeah. Yeah.
2: The first question was who was doing that work?
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: I mean, the reason why I, I, I stepped away from working with Dan is that, that he actually kept them separate. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. Right. So, I mean, there's a few in terms of, let's say, I mean, theoretically our friend, you know, KW, you know, Ken Wilber has done a lot to kind of, at least in terms of the mapping, um, you know, there were th- when I was a teen, this is going back a few decades now, there were three theorists that I was really interested in, um, Dan Brown and Ken Wilber and Almas, who founded the yeah. approach. Although, although I don't, because Almas's approach isn't like strongly grounded in developmental psychology, it's really grounded in really good phenomenology. And it's also not really strongly grounded in some of the contemplative technology I feel like that work, the diamond approach, had a little bit too much boomer processing for my for like what we need. Like we need something that is um, that really works fast. You know that works that works fast. Um, I mean, I'm sure that there are people out there. Um, you know, I think part of our starting Karuna was to begin to build the organizational structure to then find out who those people are and then bring, and then bring them into faculty. Um, you know, that's a, that's a process in and of itself, right? Getting, getting our organization going, getting it funding, getting the wheels turning, um, getting, you know, people to come on board and, and to commit because part of the problem with the kind of psychology of workshops and personal development is – that isn't the level of commitment to start a revolution, <laughs> right? Right. So, you know, we have to, we have to cultivate a level of commitment um, to then be able to, to build what needs to be built. Um, I mean, there, there, there are folks out there, um, you know, I mean, off the top of my mind, I mean, that's a, that's a whole other conversation. Um, yeah. Yeah. The other, the other question that you had was like, well, what like what helps? Yeah, what practices, what, what, yeah, practices. what have you done? Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, well, you know, so I worked with Dan for, for
0: I don't know,
2: 15 years. And for 10 of those years, we shared offices together. So I was his, I was his apprentice for, for 10 years and studied... Um, Indo-Tibetan meditation with him, and also Western psychology. Right, so I have my doctoral degree in clinical psychology and a master's degree in Chinese medicine. That's where the Chinese medicine thing comes in. Um, I mean, if we, you know, there's an integration on the psychological side. We have to come to have a really deep appreciation of attachment and what and 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 that process. And of course, there's a number of different approaches out there, but that's like the most important of the psychological work, right? Yeah. Then you have the embodiment work, but of course, really embodiment work is going to come up against attachment because what it is that stops you becoming embodied would be, you know, um schizoid process due to lack of safety, right? So, you want to work on the embodiment process, you want to work on the attachment process, then of course you have like fundamental contemplative skills, contemplative practice, right? That's got to do with the waking up kind of process, if you will. And then you need really good maps to weave it, you know, to weave all of that together. Um
3: you know, so you know what we're
2: doing at Karuna is is like putting that curriculum together it is it's difficult to put it together all by yourself it is yeah. i mean yeah it's i mean that's what i found after 30 years of you know you're going to go over here and you're going to go over there and and that 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 i think that's worked for all of us in our own individual research but i think at some point we realize
1: wow we need to be able to actually do this in a better way A quicker way too, you know, in terms of bringing together the level of expertise needed in each domain to have a refined conversation uh, that that I think that level of conversation needed to bring these disciplines together. You know, it's not something you can do after studying for a year in some thing, you know, you need the the best of the best all coming together. So that's part of that is part of the problem is that is people coming into the field who
2: maybe have been maybe five or 10 years or maybe one year and and then they're wondering why they can't do what you're talking about i think it takes 30 or 40 years to be able to do that and because our culture has a problem with hierarchy and because everybody wants to like hang out their shingle there is this kind of shadow of modernity where there's a, you know we're not people are resistant to find Teachers and enter into long-term teacher-student relationships. So that's that is part of the, that is part of the problem, and and if we don't do that, we're not going to be able to build a cathedral, right? That's what the masons got it right. You want to build a fucking cathedral? I want to like you want to build culture. We need to like work out. Yeah, we're going to have to come together. And so even the interpersonal practices, circling, authentic, relating, you know, the whole of that domain, that's one of the technologies that needs to be at the table. And we need to bring the experts of those technologies together with the, you know, with the contemplative, with the psych, you know, and all of that gets brought into an organ, you know, into an organization and into a curriculum. I think it's doable. I mean, it's, if we can put a man on the moon, mm-hmm it is doable the thing about the, the the sciences the the science the outer sciences recognize expertise meaning yeah. like if i'm an engineer like i can't bullshit my way to putting a man on the moon but the problem is you do a little bit you know you do a little training and a little bit of this and that and you can bullshit hmm. It ain't the same thing as being able to put a man on the moon, right? I mean, I learned this with, with, you know, with Dr. Dan, like Dr. Dan, you know, when we used to do, when he first started teaching just one retreat, and he then went on and did a level one, a level two, level three, um, we would have people come and do these retreats with us who had done three-year retreats in Tibetan monasteries and got more out of a week with us than they did in a three-year retreat, Because the pedagogy and the engineering, the contemplative engineering was really tight. Yeah. So part of it is, you know, the people in our field, coaches, therapists, you've got to recognize what your rank is, right? Recognize that and then support those who actually kind of outrank you. (laughs) Because if we don't, like, there's no problem of doing that. The dark side, if you want, has no problem with hierarchy, and what hierarchy means is sacred order, right? So we have to find a way, a new way, of coming together, getting over the Tower of Babel, and building the kind of organizations that are needed to address this problem. And so we have to get
1: out of the individualism. Yeah, I mean that's that's to be honest for me part of the worldview we're moving out of. You know, like you know yeah. with scientific materialism and Descartes and. You know, seeing the everything is mechanistic and reducible, and emphasizing the hyper sense of uh, what am I trying to say? It's like a um, hyper individual, basically. You know, sure. This, yeah. and then and I think that's part of the worldview we're moving out of. The where people are recognizing the inter- interdependence of yeah. everything, and the that even relationship is actually more if not as important as the parts themselves that and and so that's i think you know we're in that kind of curriculum almost right now anyway that we that we don't know right we exactly yeah, we're and it. yes we're just we're being destabilized by that and right and so that's why i feel like we need the the technology and these the curriculum in order to help us to you know orient to the world and 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 make sense and thrive in the world too it's like because the change is happening, you know, and it, there's mm-hmm. a kind of, you know, it's the it's game is a foot, basically. The game, With game is a foot. We
2: have all, all, all our coaches who are listening understand the importance of being maybe like of, of having of being able to hold in time where your client is within a larger growth curve and being able to hold that over a year. So what we're saying is we have to be able to build that for ourselves as we're the ones who are providing that service for others. But we have to place ourselves within a multi-decade process and build the struts and the beams to support that multi-decade process. That, as we recognize uh, the importance of that and the value of building those kinds of of that kind of curriculum and pedagogy, which we're slowly beginning to recognize, like how many many workshops can I do, right? Like as we transition to another mode where it's like, oh, okay, this is going to take some time and this needs to be done well and we need to be able to come together. This is how like the, the Masons worked, right? That you went through a certain initiatory process and then you joined the guild. Right? Well, to the extent that we can come together, learn similar language and practice, and you know then that the, your brothers and sisters are, have gone through a similar process, and you enter guild where now you're a co creator. Right? And, and it's, we need to kind of get to that level of culture. How can we, as those who are supporting trans, you know, transformation, get ourselves out of competitive culture? and into more of a guild environment, Mm. right, where best practices can be shared, and there's also continued service to building that lifelong. Once we understand that we're talking about, you and I are talking about, hopefully for us, it's another 40 or 50 years, then we can start talking about what kind of institutions do we want to build, what kind of... um, then you can talk about finance because then you can talk about actually how you raise money because you can then if we're on a journey that's decades long now we can start thinking about actually building retreat centers building laboratories because we're not looking for the quick fix right, right. developmentally one of you know one of the hallmarks in development and probably you know, and your and your and coaches recognize that as you move up in development, the sense of time that you're holding gets wider. You're moving from the quarter. Maybe you're thinking about the year, and then maybe it's, well, what do I want to do in the next five years or the next 10 years? right? If it's all this little motor, it, that burns people out. When we, when we start thinking about how are you and I going to journey to, you know, together over the next 40 years and what do we need – It's a very different kind of question. And then particularly if we ask ourselves, what do our children and our children's children need? Yeah. One of the problems I see
3: in in the spiritual world is that
2: the, the focus tends to be on our transformation and not on actually what do we need to build. How do we need to transform in order for us to build what it is that we need to build for our children? Now, when you look when you look at the problem that way, it's a very different kind of approach than if you're just looking at it just in terms of first person.
1: Exactly, I think because that's what I was trying to get at before with the hyper individual. It's like, yeah, it, you know, then it all becomes about me and my actualization, and my fulfillment, my personal journey, and right. of course, there's a value to that. But uh, I think it can entrench that sense of self and actually is actually pain, painful in a subtle way. You know, the, uh, the, the sense of um, service and uh, commitment and fulfillment that comes from serving that larger whole of giving and the transformation that that can bring Actually, is probably what people are really looking for, you know. So that that is the re- started, but that is yeah, no, tra- yeah. that is
2: the real transformation. Meaning right. that if you if you do move into that next tier of development, let's call it the bodhisattva or Terial Fala, might call it the meta-aware tier, or but in that tier of development, because the self has now become decentralized and expanded your activity is all about being interested in building a new civilization and a new planetary culture. That, that's what the activity is. Like you, yeah. that's, how, that's how the code of the mind changes, meaning the Bodhisattva code has to do with how do I think and what am I thinking about? So if you're just doing the state change and the code doesn't change, it doesn't happen. But if you change the code, the state is actually going to become very easy to begin to express itself because that's what the code is
1: wanting. And this might connect into two last little things that I wanted to bring up, which we won't sure. have time to go into. But the Bodhisattva path, as you speak, or as you talk about that view there, uh, I'm curious how that might connect with soul initiation, because uh, yes, there's the Bodhisattva path in Buddhism, but I've found in that initiation path uh, that, that at the very core of that for me has been, how, what does the world want from me? You know, Rather than what do I want to create in the world? It's like, no, what is the world asking me to create? And 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 so living a life of service and and then the other thing is like the heart the role of the heart in that too because i feel like that's that's a journey i'm on the mm-hmm. the heart as a as a um as a place of orientation and an organ of perception you know so this might kind of weave together like a few of the you know the things because yeah, like, you talked a lot yeah. about the refinement yeah. of us uh, yeah, i wanted to ask you about the subtle realm as well because that's a realm that i think has been in modern non-duality, not given as much, uh, you know, it's been all about the path of the absolute. and That's right. I feel it's, 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 it's lacking and it's really essential. There's a lot of traction there. So okay. um, yeah, I'm is... not sure if there's a clear question. Oh, that, no, no, but... no, no, no. I can, this one yeah. can get
2: woven together. So within, the, the, within a fourth turning view, within the view of a planetary Dharma, it, the, when we're talking about the Bodhisattva path, we're talking about the path of soul. Bodhi is awakening being. And so we're talking about the initiatory path, that that the Bodhisattva path to becoming a planetary Bodhisattva is about awakening to soul. Um, You know, technically you can think of the Bodhisattva as sitting right in the sweet spot between the absolute and the relative, right? That's the heart point, which you could also say that's the Christ, But, of course, in Christianity, there isn't a path to becoming the Christ. In Buddhism, you're allowed to become the the Christ, the Bodhisattva. And that midpoint between complete emptiness and complete form is the heart. So a lot of our discussion and dialogue has been like through the mind right now because that's about orienting and getting the mind to understand where it is and what needs to happen. But the whole of of the path and the way that the path integrates those three processes, individuation, initiation, and identification, is on the different levels of the heart. You can think of the physical heart, personality, the subtle body heart, the anahata, the chakra, there's the soul, and then the hridaya, on on this side, right side, this is related to um, the, the absolute. This is, you know, the the channel that leads down to the right. So, the heart goes all the way across, right? The the physical personality, the subtle soul, and the spirit heart. And those, of course, actually, as the heart increases, they all get integrated into a, a single center. So, we haven't really kind of gone into, like, the phenomenology of these processes. but. What makes it different and that is putting bodhisattva at the center, i.e. not trying to shoot too high developmentally, which is what some of the traditions do is they go too high and not get right in the sweet spot. And that sweet spot is all about the heart. That's where we're able to bring all those interpersonal technologies that have been developed from circling and what have you all of the kind of contemplative technologies the psychodynamic technologies they all come together at the heart and developmentally if we can get the planet to the to the level of the human heart then we're going to be able to start trusting one another understanding one another so you know this is really about the technology of the heart and and the whole from the point of view of the Of kind of the Buddhist tradition, I understand, my understanding is that those higher stages of the bodhisattva path are all about the deeper levels of the intelligence of the heart. Both its cognitive intelligence, because the heart's field is a gestalt, right? The heart field entrains the brain. And and because it's a kind of toroidal field, the more you're rested in the heart, the more your cognition will begin to be informed by those energetic structures. I think KW puts it in the sense, like, like thinking holes, feeling holes, seeing holes, being holes, the holes part, that's all about the heart. But we're talking about deeper and deeper levels of the heart mind. And if we are careful to really rewire, and this is, this is about, re-engineering the these processes into the heart center what we've discovered is that synergizes all of them and it speeds the process up not that speed is important but um it's an issue that we have to deal with right we don't have decades and decades and decades to get people
1: going yeah yeah amazing amazing um i'm glad that i asked about that and i'm also struck by this synchronicity of the, you know, the things that were there in my mind and how they all fit together really beautifully. And, um, you know, we're at time. I want to thank you deeply, John, you know, this has been such a rich conversation for me, you know, I feel really lit up about what we've been talking about. And actually, I just want to say where, you know, people listening probably want to know where they can find out more about what you're up to. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So, karunamandala.org. I'm, I'm sure
2: you'll put the link in the in yeah. Your, we'll link to it on the right? podcast page. I'll mention yeah. it at the start. As thank well. you. Yeah. And, and so we have an on, ongoing programs like kind of multi year curriculum, and uh, the next the next kind of two year curriculum begins actually in 2025. But we will we have like day longs, and also we'll have a we're going to have a retreat. Um, this um this new year so there are retreats that are kind of for the public and then that then leads to an ongoing um uh multi-year program yeah fantastic yeah so karunamandala.org thanks john well thank you um really enjoy the opportunity to to be here with you and to to share you know what it is that we are we're all doing i mean I, i don't think that what I'm sharing with you is much of what um, you and many of the listeners are already doing. I think the thing is, is that, you know, I mean, at least for me, it's been, yeah, it's 30 years now. So those of us who have just been kind of on this a little bit longer, um, you know, we're, we're with you. You know what I mean? It's like, we have, like, I think a lot of this has been worked out, now the question is, is like, how do we all come together um, and build these kinds of educational processes for ourselves and for our children and, and for the future? Mm. So, thank
1: yeah. you. Godspeed yeah. to that. Yeah. Godspeed, yeah. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com.